Hello and welcome to the Seems Legit Podcast, hosted by your favorite craft beer drinking, whiskey sipping, bourbon appreciating, sushi eating, steak craving, speedo wearing, tell it like it is, poker playing guitarist, the dude himself, the dude Sonny D. I want to thank you all so much for tuning into this episode of the Seems Legit Podcast and the continued and growing support here on the Seems Legit Podcast. If you aren't already doing so, please follow me on both Twitter and Instagram at the dude Sonny D. So we had a pretty uh, big weekend in sports. Uh, the U.S. Open uh, tennis wrapped up. Uh, there was a UFC uh, pay-per-view card uh, held in Abu Dhabi. Uh, so, yeah, and the uh, NFL season started. So uh, let's just jump right into it. Uh, we can start with uh, the UFC, I guess. Uh, so let's get, actually, you know what, let's address the uh, the bigger ones. The bigger news is probably the U.S. Open. Um, and of course, football season starting. But uh, let's talk about uh, U.S. Open. So on the uh, women's side, Bianca and Drescue. As I uh, said earlier this year, we have a new star, and her name's Bianca and Drescue, and she didn't let down. I remember uh, telling uh, my buddy Token Tony uh, that yes, I think she'll do it. I th- I I told him that she either bows out early. Or she makes a deep run, and she made the deepest possible run. She won. And uh, she just kept getting better and better as the rounds went by. Uh, there was times when she looked like she might be down and out and fucking gutted it out. Heart of a champion. So congratulations, 19-year-old Bianca Andreescu on uh, winning your first Grand Slam uh, U.S. Open, beating the legend, the living, playing, walking legend, uh, Serena Williams. Uh, Serena's got 23 or 20, I think she's at 23 now. So only 22 more to go, uh, to catch Serena, but, uh, truly amazing. And I think, you know, it's, it, I, I think Bianca Andreescu is a bona fide star. I think she's going to be a bona fide star in women's tennis. I, th- I see a bright, bright, bright future for her. She's now jumped up to fifth in the, uh, WTA rankings. Uh, I think she started the year at like 500 and something so what a year for her just absolutely incredible and so much even more room to continue growing uh to move up those rankings next year she can make that challenge for number one uh and just i mean to have so much skill and talent and still be so eager to work and do and put in the work i think that's what's really going to dictate things uh it's the first canadian to win a grand slam singles title so it's just it's incredible uh, what she's been able to accomplish uh, just this year and at such a young age. So good for her. Uh, I think the whole country's proud of her. And just a tremendous story uh, for Canadian sports, too. Uh, I think over the last few years, uh, Canadian sports are really starting to get uh, a little bit of that recognition we deserve. Um, or not even just deserve. I mean, I don't want to talk as if we're entitled to recognition because we're not. But it's just nice to see. Um, Canadian athletes, um, shining on the biggest stages, uh, women's soccer, uh, the Canadian women's team doing well, uh, and now in tennis, um, and even in the men's side, we still have, uh, we have Denis Shapovalov, Milos Raonic, uh, Felix Auger, Aliassime. So we, we've, st- we've got a lot to look forward to. Uh, men's soccer is going to be the next thing. I think I'd like to see, um, us take that next step. Uh, I don't even know if we're going to qualify for the next World Cup, in all honesty. But just to get back to the World Cup again and do well, I think would be really awesome. And I hope to see that uh, in my 30s. Uh, so we'll see how that plays out. But yes, uh, nonetheless, 
Uh, this young girl, Bianca Andrescu, uh, dominates in the end, uh, beats Serena. Uh, and the craziest thing, too, is it was looking like she might fall apart. She was up 5-1 in the second set. Still held on to win 7-5, but there were some moments they were like, this is why Serena's the greatest of all time. And I think the co- the other side of the conversation regarding the final is interesting in itself. A lot of people are quick to start writing off former champions and past champions. Oh, they're past their prime. Oh, they're done. Oh, that's it. Oh, it's over for them. And there's no real reason to think or say that. There's no evidence to suggest that Serena's done. Do I think Serena is going to dominate and win every major anymore? No, she's not winning every Grand Slam anymore. But the fact of the matter is... I'm pretty sure she's played in like the last three or four Grand Slam finals. You know, she's still consistently making semis and finals. I mean, that's still a pretty good run. She's still making good money and she's still going out there and having deep runs in these tournaments. And just because it looks like it might be over for you doesn't mean it is. I mean, even look at poker, right? Last year, Phil Helmuth wins yet another No Limit Hold'em bracelet. Pardon me, bracelet number 15. I mean, when you look at even that number, right? And we talk about which poker players might have a shot at breaking his record. That 15 is looking pretty crazy. And I mean, there's already... I mean, who knows what the end is going to be for Phil Helmuth. There could be bracelets 16 and 17 in his future. Do I think... Could I see uh, Serena getting to 25? Absolutely. I could see her getting to that quarter century mark. I could see her getting to 25 uh, Grand Slams. Um... But it also speaks now to the development of women's tennis, right? There are so many young, talented players out there now that it's no longer a given. It's no longer guaranteed, you know, that's going to be the same two or three. So I think that's also exciting too in a sport like tennis. And tennis is a very exciting sport to watch. I like watching tennis. Um, and I and I appreciate tennis. You know, as I as I've always said about tennis. Thing about tennis is if you can play tennis, you appreciate watching tennis that much more, um, because it is such a difficult sport to play to have a certain proficiency in, because you, both you and your opponent need to have a certain proficiency to get the most out of the playing experience. So it's just it's one of those things that as you get better, have played it, you can appreciate it more. And I can just I, I mean it's it's just it's amazing to see just that blossoming of talent on the women's side in tennis. And it's just, it's a really exciting times for women's tennis. And I do think Bianca Andreescu is there, is here for, she's the real deal. I think she's here for the long haul in women's tennis. I definitely see more grand slams in her future. And as I said, it would be interesting to see, I think in the next couple of years, you do see Serena get to 24 and 25. Um, it's just, it's a tougher road now, you know, and, and playing well. She beats Serena. I mean, it's not like this is the first time Serena's ever lost, right? We're not talking about the great undefeated Serena Williams. People lose. And people are so quick to say, oh, that they're past their prime. They're done. Of course Serena is. I mean, Serena's got other things now. She's probably, she's got business ventures. She's got her kid. She loves that daughter of hers. I mean, that kid's a fucking cute kid. She's a married woman. All of these things. And I just think it's really, truly um, amazing to see just i mean how consistent she stayed how relevant she stayed for so long and we've seen so many 
tennis players come and go in that time period. So, I mean, we, we, we're we on that brink now of seeing a whole era of new stars. We're in that new era of stars in uh, women's tennis. But for Serena to still be hanging in there and making finals, I think is pretty incredible in itself. And I think we haven't seen the end of uh, Serena Williams. I think we've just seen the beginning uh, for Bianca Andreescu. On the men's side, things got increasingly interesting now. So a couple of years ago, when Roger Federer got to Magic number twenty uh, Grand Slams, it was looking like he'll, you know, keep adding to it. You know, he, you know, everybody was like, "Wow, you know, we didn't think he'd still have it." He kept winning Grand Slams, but then so did the other big two. So did uh, Novak Djokovic, and so did Rafael Nadal. So much so, Rafael Nadal is your 2019 uh, U.S. Open men's champion. And that's kind of exciting when you think about it too now, because that race gets interesting for all-time titles and whatnot. Uh, Federer still holds the lead at 20, but Rafa's right there at 19. Plus, lest we forget Rafa's invincibility just about at the French Open, he's going to get at least a couple more. I truly believe so. He's getting at least a couple more Grand Slams. So it's looking like that new number is somewhere going to be in that 22 to 23 range. Like that's going to be that new bar by which the three of them are going to be competing to retire at number one. I think whoever's going to do is going to have to get to 23. Um, And the thing too, is that with the big three, they're usually winning most of the grand slams. I think they were saying Rafa now has the record for most Grand Slams after the age of 30. He's won five majors after the age of 30. So that's pretty incredible, too. When they talk about kind of how Roger Federer's had this long-lasting career, which he has. Like, let's, you know, let's not forget that. Yes, he has. But, I mean, fucking Rafa's been there, too. And Rafa's now won more after 30 than Federer has. And still has the French to look forward to. And let's forget Djokovic is no slouch himself. Uh, it was surprising to see both Joker and uh, Feds get eliminated in the quarterfinals. I think sometimes that makes maybe Rafa's road a little easier. But again, you got to show up and perform. And as of right now, I would go ahead and say I think Rafa does pass Federer and probably does it within the next within the next 365 days. Within one year from now, I predict. So that means Rafa would have to win two out of the next three. I could see him getting it done. And then Rafael Nadal is your number one all-time uh, major wins at 21. And I do think, and I mean, so if he does that, if he gets to 21, the interesting thing there with him getting to 21 is that it feasibly keeps Djokovic in and around 16, 17. So if let's say Rafa gets a French and Wimbledon next year, I mean, that leaves the Australian open open. Um, Australian Open open. But yes, it leaves the Australian Open kind of as the one to battle for. Uh, It's a tough one, I mean, with the time change. And it's hot down there when they're playing. Like, they're always playing these events, usually in warmer times of the year for each place. It'll be warm down there in Australia. We'll see. It's a hardcore... I mean, especially the way Rafa's playing now. um, I think he'll take over the number one rank on the ATP Tour. And just to see that... I think the difference, though, when I look at career accomplishments of Federer and I look at Rafa, um, to me, the thing that stands out between the two of them is the mix of championships that Federer's won. Uh, I mean, Rafa does have an Olympic gold medal, I believe. I think he did get uh, the gold. Um, so that's inter- that's something to keep in mind as well. But 
Uh, whereas Federer, I think the best he's ever done is a silver medal. Uh, regardless, um, Federer has the seven, I think, or eight Wimbledons, five U.S. Open. So let's, I think if it's eight Wimbledons for Federer, that's five U.S. Open. That's thirteen right there. He has one French, meaning he's won a bunch of Australians. So it's just it's it's a more it's a mix of championships. Rafa has thirteen, uh, twelve or thirteen French Opens. Like, that's a pretty big number of French Opens when you think about it. So, if it's at 15 and he has, or 13 Frenches, and that means they has, well, yeah, I think it is, uh, it's either 12 or, or 13. But regardless, that means either 6 or 7 come from the other 3, meaning he's averaging 2-ish per um, other uh, Grand Slam. Now he's won four U.S. Opens. That was his fourth. So putting that together, no, I think so. It must be twelve. It must be uh, twelve Frenches that he has. But we're gonna look that up right now and see. But if that's sixteen, that means three, which adds up. That would be two Wimbledon's and one Australian Open, which I believe is the case. I think it is. A 12, 4, 2, and 1. That's a pretty big difference in terms of dominance and in terms of winning. Uh, and I mean, if you take that French out of the equation, now where is he at, right? So, and it's kind of interesting because even if you took Federer's Wimbledon's out, I mean, he's still at 12. Right? So, if it's, I think if it's, if it's 8 Wimbledon's for Federer, he's still at 12. Right, so that's something to keep in mind as well. Uh, all right, so we're gonna see here. So French Open, he's won 19 Grand Slams. He has one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. Okay, so he has 12 French Opens. Uh, we know he has uh, the four U.S. Opens, so I believe it's two and one uh, for him in terms of. Uh, Wimbledon's and Australian Opens. Uh, and, and the other thing, too, about the big three is how they've managed to stay the big three for so long. Now, granted, Andy Murray did get injured um, and his career kind of got derailed. Uh, Juan Martin Del Potro, again, suffered, has suffered from injuries most of his career, especially as he kind of got to the peak of his career. So when you think about those things, like that's tough in itself, too, when two of the players that pose the big three um, problems... Um, have had shortened careers because I mean it was the big four for a while uh, Rafa, Federer, Djokovic and Murray and now with kind of Murray being out of the equation it's it's back to being the big three so here it is finally I don't know why my computer's being so slow today uh, it's a bit of a pain in my ass but we're gonna see here yeah so two yeah so in ironically enough in 2009 the only major he won our Grand Slam he won was the Australian Open. That was his one and only Australian. But he has some unreal feats here. So he won four straight Frenches from 05 to 08. And then, uh, so that's four straight. And then he won five straight uh, from 2010 to 2014. He has, he's currently a three-time defending champion, 17, 18, 19. Uh, Wimbledon, he hasn't won it since 2010, uh, which ironically was the last time, which was his first U.S. Open win. 
And I believe, who did he play in the final there? I think it might have been Novak Djokovic that he beat in the final in uh, 2010, uh, which was actually, 2010 was a funny year because that was the, uh, yeah, because Delpo won in 2019, or 2009 rather. And uh, I had this friend of mine uh, who uh, who was up, uh, he, he taught at the University of uh, Winnipeg. And he was a big tennis fan. And that was kind of one of the things we first kind of bonded over um, that became our friendship was uh, tennis. We both had tennis in common. Uh, and then we actually liked a lot of the same sports and stuff and led to a lot of, I mean, the thing when you discuss things with other, with, with smart people, right, is it brings out the best in your discussion and debating ability, right? And that's kind of something when it comes to argument and crafting argument, um, I think the word argument often comes with a sense of aggression when it doesn't have to. Um, and I think the more kind of intellectual you can make your arguments uh, the, and, and, and keep it and keep the personal stuff out of it, it brings out a better side of you. It brings out a more articulate side of you. Um, it forces your brain to work. It's like a brain exercise in a way, right? So just kind of interesting there. But uh, nonetheless, yeah, so 2010 was his first U.S. Open. And I remember... Um, uh, my buddy and I were cheering for uh, the USO for uh, Rafa to win the 2010 because I think that that would have given him yeah that's right that would have given him his career Grand Slam all four uh, majors or Grand Slams and whatever term you want to use. Uh, let's see what else. And yes, he won the gold at the 2008 Olympics. I thought that was the case, um, and he actually has two gold medals. I apologize. He does have two. Just at the last Olympics uh, in 2016, he uh, won the doubles gold. So he has two gold medals to add uh, to his um, one singles and one doubles to add to his very impressive resume of uh, career uh, Grand Slams. He also has a career lifetime earnings. Am I seeing this right here? Where was it? Yeah, so his prize money, I don't know if this includes what he won, is 115 just just uh, 115 million and change so unreal and that doesn't even include his endorsements that's prize money so it's just amazing how much wealth the big three have created for themselves uh regardless uh it is um pretty amazing uh what he's done so 19 uh for uh rafael nadal who's one year older yeah he's 33 so uh, pretty incredible. Uh, still got some time on his side there. So I mean, and to win five after the age of thirty, pretty incredible. So we'll see. I mean, we'll see where it finishes off. But as I said, I think that number to really have a shot at being the number one uh, Grand Slams winner and holding it, I think it's going to be uh, somewhere in that. Uh, 22 to 23 is what's going to be the number to set. And maybe this does light a uh, fire under Roger Federer. Uh, Federer is a little bit older than Raph. I think he is the oldest of the big three. I'm going to see how old he is right now. Um, and even though, for, and I mean, it's, it's kind of the same thing with Federer, right? I mean, he's still consistently having deep runs in tournaments. So why would he uh, call it a career? Why would he pack it in? Um, tennis is such a great... Yeah, he's 38, so he's five years older than uh, Rafa. So Rafa's got time on his side to try and pass uh, Roger the Great. Um, but it's just amazing that even the big three still are the top three ranked players. Uh, it's just incredible. Uh, but nonetheless, yeah. So the big uh, news there over the weekend was the... Uh, 
U.S. Open coming to a wraps. Uh, Rafa getting uh, Grand Slam number 19. Yeah, Roger Federer has career prize money of just north of $126 million. Uh, and here it is for Roger Federer. Yes, eight Wimbledons, five U.S. Uh, Opens. Uh, what do we have here? Is it five Australian Opens? Six Australian. So wait, 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 wait. Yeah, 11 and... Yeah, so that's right. So there you go. He's actually won more U.S. Opens than he has... Uh, I mean, more Australians than he has U.S. So yeah, he's won uh, eight, six, five, and one. So I mean, yeah, the one French Open is kind of that one little um, blip. But without that, he still has a pretty even mix of wins. And that's what I was kind of talking about there, is that success across all of the court conditions, all the different types of courts in all the different environments. So that's just kind of what I think Roger will be remembered for at the end of the day, was that excellence across all of them. Uh, Roger Federer does have an Olympic gold medal. So just like Rafa, he does. He does have a doubles gold from 2008 uh, and the silver medal in 2012. Uh, that was famous because that was uh, the Wimbledon where he beat Andy Murray. Uh, Murray won the first set and then Federer came back to win the next three uh, once they closed the roof. Uh, and then Wim the because the... Uh, Olympics were in London that year. They actually held the men's tournament, there the uh, tennis tournaments, both men's and women, at the Wimbledon court, and that's where uh, Andy Murray got his revenge and was able to uh, beat uh, Roger Federer, get that gold medal. And uh, Andy Murray, I believe, is the first and only uh, man or male rather to uh, win back-to-back -back Olympic gold singles. Uh, so that's pretty, and it was uh, last time he did against Juan Martin Del Potro, I believe, was the person who got the uh, silver. So, uh, yeah, pretty incredible when you think about it, um, what these guys have accomplished. Uh, I think no, Djokovic has got to be north of $100 million too, but regardless, yeah. So, yeah, so there was some tennis. Uh, football got started. Uh, now, I'm not as big a football fan as I am other sports. I try to keep as up-to-date. I do have a favorite team. The Baltimore Ravens are my favorite team. And they absolutely fucking thrashed um, Dolphins. I actually have the TV on mute right here as I watch. Five um, passing TDs, 85% completion percentage for Lamar Jackson, 158.3 passer rating. First QB in Ravens history with a perfect passer rating. Um, Ravens single game right with a minimum 20 attempts and he had fucking 85% completion rate. They destroyed the Dolphins. So much so I was seeing on Instagram this morning that a bunch of the Dolphin players believe that the organization and team might be trying to actually throw the season and got in touch with their agents after getting fucking shellacked yesterday and were saying, try to get us a trade. Try to get us the fuck out of here. Uh, so I hope that, it, I, I don't know if that is the case. I don't follow all of the storylines of football as much as um, a lot of other, uh, a lot of my other friends do. Uh, but big ones that jump out from the results yesterday was that one. Uh, Brady and the uh, Patriots uh, crushed the Steelers. Uh, so there you go. And they didn't have Gronk. Gronk was back for the uh, banner unveiling, but Gronk retired. And it just goes to show kind of the importance of even mental and physical health. Uh, with the two big and young retirements uh, this offseason, Gronkowski and Andrew Luck. As Gronk said, he just lost. It, it wasn't fun for him. He wasn't enjoying himself. But yeah, it just goes to show the importance of keeping track of our mental health, right? So, you know, Gronk lost that passion to play. I mean, look, the guy still looks like he's in great fucking shape. Andrew Luck, it was the, the wear and tear on the body.
right? And I mean, the Colts hadn't done him any favors. They were letting him get abused out there. But yeah, two young retirements uh, early. So there was that storyline. Then there's this whole Antonio Brown saga, which I'm not really sure how that plays. Um, but uh, interestingly enough, he did sign with the Patriots. And the Patriots crushed the Steelers without Brown. Hopeful, if they have chemistry, if, if Brown can go and be the player he can be with the Patriots, then holy shit do the Patriots get fucking good. And, I mean, I don't know – as I said, I don't follow all the storylines, but that'll be one to watch this season uh, as Tom Brady goes to number seven. Uh, I mean, my word. My word. Uh, but, nonetheless, uh, and I mean, yeah, this is Tom Brady's 20th NFL season. I don't think – like, players don't do that in the NFL. Players just don't play 20 fucking seasons at quarterback. So, uh, pretty incredible uh, what Tom Brady's been able to do. But, nonetheless – uh, football's back, so that's exciting. Uh, Monday night football tonight is the Broncos and uh, Raiders, so we'll get to see Joe Flacco um, and what he can do uh, with the uh, Baltimore, uh, not Baltimore, uh, with the Denver Broncos after uh, getting replaced in Baltimore, uh, and it just happens, um, you know. So and Lamar Jackson is it uh, in uh, Baltimore? Just you know, you run out. It's just your time is up, and there you go. You move on, and that was the case. Cowboys, I guess, looked good yesterday against uh, the Giants. I, I wasn't really surprised by that. I had a, I, I knew the Cowboys would win. Or I, I expected the Cowboys to win. I didn't know they would. Um, I expected them to win. Uh, the Cowboys do have a lot to prove this year. I mean, with that offensive line that they have, um, being able to uh, protect Dak, <coughs> pardon me, and Ezekiel Elliott being back, uh, the Cowboys should have a good time. Uh, should have a good run this year. Uh, I don't know if they win the Super Bowl or not, but they should have a good run. So we'll see how the Super the uh, NFL season kind of plays out. Uh, it's a great social sport, right? It's a sport that you can get together with your pals. You know, have a drink, have some good food. I love it. Like you know, I, I I'm probably yeah, I might even get into hosting Super Bowl parties now for the first or not Super Bowl uh, parties. We had a Super Bowl party this year. Uh, even just Sunday uh, Sunday game days, right? People come over, have some food, love cooking. So it's a great way for people to come over. I can cook for them. Uh, just great times ahead. But yeah, and then the last sport I want to talk about today. <coughs> actually, we'll probably talk about maybe some hockey too. But is uh, UFC. So we have UFC there uh, this weekend. Uh, the big name fight was uh, Khabib Nurmagomedov uh, against Dustin Poirier. It was to unify the lightweight belts. Uh, Khabib serving his suspension after the infamous brawl after the fight with Conor McGregor uh, against Dustin Poirier, who was the interim uh, champion who beat uh, the featherweight champion Max Holloway for the interim lightweight title. <coughs> um, Holloway was stepping up. Pardon me there for coughing. Uh, Holloway was stepping up uh, from featherweight to lightweight. And that's what happens. Uh, sometimes the, the just the bigger guy has it. I think that's really what the story of that fight was. Uh, I don't know what people had in terms of expectations for Dustin Poirier. I just I didn't I I don't know how the Holloway fight would have been a predictor of his ability to beat Khabib. Uh, I mean Poirier is a guy that has struggled in the past. I think that was his second fight with Holloway. I think he might have. I don't know if he owns two victories over Holloway or now they're one and one. Whatever it might be. Um, but Poirier got starched by, uh, he just got knocked out, uh, when he fought by, uh, Connor a few years ago. Uh, he's just, 
it's been a bit of a journeyman case, and I and it was nice to see him as a journeyman get to the top there. Um, and I mean, there was a mo- there was a couple of moments where it looked close. Not gonna lie, there was a couple of moments where you know he could have had the finish on Khabib, but I mean, Khabib's just on a different level in terms of heart and intensity and pace and skill and strength. I was watching with my buddy uh, Nick. And the thing that we were talking about and the storyline with Khabib is his fucking strength. Just how fucking strong Khabib is. Like, that guy, I mean, I would have a... I mean, don't get me wrong. There are probably welterweights that are stronger than him. But just pound for pound, you're going to have a hard time convincing me that there are many UFC fighters that are pound for pound as strong as Khabib. Uh, That guy's just an animal. Um... and I mean, what's left? I mean, there's the Tony Ferguson fight. Uh, there's a lot. There's always going to be those circulating talks about GSP. Always the, if Connor comes back, focused, all of that. Uh, it's a big money fight. Does he fight a Diaz brother maybe down the road? Um, he's already made it clear he doesn't want to be a two-division champion. That's not on the time on the horizon for him. He's the lightweight champion. And he just wants to keep defending the lightweight belt. And I have all the respect in the world for that. It's only until relatively recently did this champ champ thing become an issue. And it was, I mean, only with Conor McGregor doing it. If Conor McGregor wasn't successful against Eddie Alvarez, I don't know that the UFC would be having nearly as many uh, dual champions. Uh, but with Conor being successful and, and finishing Eddie Alvarez, just dominating Eddie Alvarez, it opened the door to see a lot of these uh, double champions. Now... Uh, with Henry Cejudo, that was an interesting case because, as we saw, it was TJ Dillashaw got suspended, the title got vacated, he fought Marlon Moraes, uh, who won the first round of that fight. Moraes did win the first round, and then Cejudo just took it to a different level uh, in, in beating uh, Moraes. The thing I like about Cejudo is this. Uh, this was a guy who had lost his first fight to Demetrius Johnson, and I'd done an episode of the podcast talking about the predicament of getting a second shot at, champ, at the champ, and especially if you have losses in the division against other contenders. Um, and I'm drawing a blank. Joseph Benavides. He had lost to Joseph Benavides en route to his second title shot with Demetrius Johnson. Comes in, beats Demetrius, the longtime uh, champion at flyweight, and wins the belt. You know? And not, the thing that was awesome about it is it wasn't a blue, you know, it wasn't just a blip win. He won and then defended the belt against the bigger champion. TJ came down to try and close out that division. Tried to say, fuck it, I'm going to take both belts and run back to 135, and that's it. And a lot of people felt that with Demetrius Johnson leaving the 125 division, leaving the UFC in that kind of, in the first time ever, kind of an MMA-style trade, uh, that saw Demetrius Johnson go to 1FC and Ben Askren come to the UFC. It, um, people thought the 125 division, and I don't know what is left. I know a lot of people have talked about Joseph Benavidez. He does hold a victory over Henry Cejudo. I think that is the next fight for Cejudo that makes sense. Um, but Cejudo now with those two, having those two divisions does have a lot more flexi- freedom and flexibility. Uh, there's always going to be certain cases. There's, um... Oh, God. Frankie Edgar. Uh, you know, who's kind of become the perennial number two guy in whatever division he's in. Uh, people now have to remember that he's losing more title shots than he's winning these days. 
Uh, he's had two or three failed bids at 145. Uh, and now moving down to 135, I just don't know that it gets any better. I don't know that, you know, he poses threats to Henry Cejudo, who's in the prime of his kind of UFC career. Frankie's on the tail end. But Frankie's one of those guys that can still beat the vast majority of the competition. So you can't necessarily waste him against other up-and-coming talent because you're, 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 you're kind of doing yourself a double fault there. But I don't know. It's going to be interesting. But Cejudo does have a lot of options. But the story there coming out of that is Khabib dominates uh, and gets the finish in the third round. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with Khabib. Uh, he hadn't fought in over a year or about, yeah, about a year. So coming out of the suspension, we'll see how quickly a turnaround is. I guess it comes down to how quickly they can get Ferguson in the cage. That is the fight that makes the most sense for me. Uh in terms of the lightweight division, I think that solidifies the number one person in the division. Until Ferguson and Khabib fight, we there'll always be that cloud that hangs over the UFC lightweight division. Is Khabib really the true champ? You know, he never had to be. And they're, they're always saying that. I think even Khabib alluded to that in his division. There's always going to be somebody who they'll point at and be like, oh, he never, he didn't beat this person yet. He didn't beat that person. Always going to be the case. As the champ, people always look to bring you down. They always look for that next, and they have to. You have to market a challenge. It's business. You have to market a challenger. If you can't market a challenger, you have no fucking challenger, and you have no business. So just, it's one of those things there uh, that'll be interesting to see if Khabib can beat, uh, can get the fight with Ferguson. If they can do that, I could see that being on the end of year card, uh, which will probably fall before, it'll well, definitely fall before New Year's. It'll be that weekend before New Year's, so I think it'll be on like the 28th or 29th this year. Uh, last year, we saw John Jones defeat Gustafson and uh, Amanda Nunez go get champ champ status by uh, knocking out Chris Cyborg. Uh, who's now over at Bellator. So her contract came to an end. She fought out her the end of her contract. Uh, but the relationship was always tense with the UFC. And it isn't any surprise to me on both sides that they parted ways. I think Dana White even came out and said, yeah, I'm just going to waive her, you know, that con the uh, matching period. If she wants to go elsewhere, she can fucking go elsewhere. I get it from both sides. I think she was done with the UFC. I think the UFC was kind of no longer in the Chris Cyborg business. She had a scene, what seemed to be a decent working relationship with Scott Coker when he was over at Strike Force. So <clears throat> it'll be interesting to see. I think there's... Bellator does provide that new start for a lot of fighters. Uh, I mean, look at Ryan Bader. I, that, that's a great example of a guy who's taken his career to new heights and new levels um, by moving over to Bellator. He's had tremendous success moving over to Bellator. Uh, then you have guys like uh, Ben Askren who were left, let go by Bellator. Uh, and now Ben Askren's in a weird situation because he's fighting Damian Maya in his next fight. Uh, and he got starched by, he just not knocked out fucking cold by Jorge Masvidal, who's going to headline, I think, in November against uh, Nate Diaz. So it'll just be interesting how these things are shaping up kind of in the UFC. There's always the Conor McGregor cloud. Uh, but Conor's got his issues now. Conor's got to start, you know, he kind of got to start behaving a little bit. Uh, Conor's got to, 
he's got to make people love him again. And the UFC can help with that. They can make they can put Connor in that position to be loved again. I mean, if it wasn't for Connor, we wouldn't be seeing a lot of what we're seeing. But I I do think there is the road for Connor to make a comeback and make a very serious comeback and 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 get some gold again. So we'll see. But uh, nonetheless, very exciting uh, weekend uh, in September here. It was a little, there was actually some nice, it was actually quite nice during the day uh, here. The, the evenings got a little chilly, uh, but it was a relatively dry, warm weekend here in Winnipeg. So that was nice uh, with great sports. Uh, the next, uh, I guess the next big uh, kind of sporting thing will be the start of the NHL season. Uh, but that's kind of, yeah, training camps, I think, start this week. Uh, teams now, uh, players are kind of getting into town. The interesting thing there is, um, for the Canadian teams, uh, a few of them have uh, big-name free agents that still haven't fucking signed. So in Toronto, it's the Mitch Marner thing. I don't really know what's going to get done there at this point. Um, in Calgary, you have Matthew Kachuk. In Winnipeg, you have both Patrick Laine and Kyle Connor. It's, I think... Each team is kind of playing a game of chicken with each other. They're waiting to see who bites first. Uh, and I think once one bites, I think you're going to see, um, you know, three out of the four could sign within a 24-hour period of each other. <coughs> Pardon me. Uh, I think the Mitch Marner case is a little different uh, than the others. Uh, Mitch Marner was the leading point getter on his team uh, with Toronto. It's hard with a winger. Uh, but he's going to want to get paid. He's going to want to get his. Now, there were some ways, there were some numbers and some magic that they were talking about on one of the TSN shows about how they could do it through you know, through the, his pay being the biggest in his last year because then that sets the qualifying price for his next contract negotiation. I could see that. That could be an interesting way of going about it. Uh, regardless, it uh, it'll be interesting to see how this plays out. Uh, the Jets could be in an interesting uh, position as well. Uh, Patrick Laine could fetch a very heavy price in a trade-type situation. So it'll be interesting to see. I, th I personally predict out of the three big ones there, uh, you could easily see Patrick Laine being the one that's traded. I know a lot of Winnipeggers are going to be upset with me for saying that. But at a certain point, you do kind of have to make the decision as to what direction you want to go in. Line A had a big drop in production. Uh, basically, didn't even score for like half the season. So it'll be tough to see. This guy that scores in bunches, right? He needs to find a rhythm and find it quickly. I don't know that Patrick Line A can miss time and come back and be productive. That's the only thing that worries me with Patrick Line. And if you are the Jets, you could look at maybe making the trade, getting some stocking up on some draft picks, getting me, you know, stocking up on the defensive depth here a little bit and kind of keeping your window of relevance without having to do a complete rebuild. The problem is is teams a lot of teams have a hard time rebuilding on the go. One team that's been great at it has been uh, Boston. I mean, Pittsburgh's been pretty good at it. They just, I mean, they're three, two years removed from uh, winning back-to-back -back cups. So, lest we forget that. Uh, but it'll be interesting to see. I do see uh, some potential for Patrick Laine to be moved. If I were Jets management, I think it's an easier to justify hockey decision to get rid of Line A and keep Connor. I think the upswing and up potential of Kyle Connor and his overall game, you just can't let that go. 
you can't let that go uh, versus letting go of someone like Patrick Line. The thing with uh, Patrick Line is, yes, he does make whatever team you're sending him to better. It's just, again, he, you know, he scores in bunches. So we'll see. Uh, but nonetheless, I do. Uh, it's Monday, so I'll let everybody get back to their Mondays. Hopefully this has brightened up your Monday. Hopefully you're all having a wonderful day. I thank you all so much for tuning into this episode of the Seems Legit Podcast. Again, if you aren't already doing so, please follow me on both Twitter and Instagram at the dude Sunny D. I thank you so much uh, for the continuing growing support here. Uh, take care and bye-bye for now.